The Athletic. Hello, this is a bonus edition of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast with myself, Ali Maxwell, with Liam Tharm and Mark Carey. Uh, This is the first of two podcasts that will be on this feed this week. And while I'm excited to talk to these two about Marcus Rashford and Kylian Mbappe, I'm even more excited for you guys to listen to the episode that will go out tomorrow on this feed, The State of Football Management Part 2. To an incredible discussion with Liam, Michael Cox and Mark uh, about football management, about some of the myths that need busting uh, and some of the perceptions that are false and some of them which are very, very true. Please make sure that you look out for that on the podcast feed uh, tomorrow. On this episode, we're going to talk about two of the most exciting and high-performing players in world football this season, Marcus Rashford and Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> reasons to discuss them and it's a good time to do so at incredible highs for both so far this season Mbappe breaking PSG's goal scoring record winning the World Cup golden boot uh, Marcus Rashford rediscovering his mojo on the pitch and reaching 20 goals in all comps by early February more recently both have had a, a tougher week or two fair to say Rashford's Manchester United humbled by Liverpool last weekend Mbappe and PSG knocked out of the Champions League on Wednesday evening uh, let's start with Marcus Rashford Mark, reminding everyone this season just what he can do when in peak condition and form, has he underlined now definitively where he's most effective on the pitch? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it is worth noting just how much he did have his, his injury struggles as well. I think it was a, a back injury and then a shoulder injury. And I think he was definitely not playing at, at top gear um, at all last season. That was shown in his minutes as much as his performances. Um, but in terms of where he's most effective, I think, yeah, I think he said as much as well, just how much he, he enjoys coming off the, the left, feels like he's, he's strongest coming off the, the left. Um, I think for reasons that we can come into, which Liam can outline, that it's obviously not necessarily scoring from the left because of the way that he drifts into more central spaces and he's he's becoming more of a, um, a high quality goal scorer. But in terms of the numbers, if he when he starts on the, the left side of attack, um, since 2019-20, he's averaged 0.49 goals per 90 from the left side of attack, uh, 0.3 goals per 90 when he started as a central striker. Uh, and on the, I was going to say few occasions, but there's a fair amount of minutes that he's played on the right side of attack, um, 0.24 goals per 90. Um, and I won't go into the, the exact numbers of XG, but it's very much backed up by mm-hmm. his expected goals as well. It completely tallies that he is strongest from from the left side of attack. And 
it, it feeds into his skill set of being able to stretch his legs and uh, be able to you know get the balls played inside the fullback etc but I think that he's also developed into more of a kind of cute player from the left side uh, not necessarily in transitional moments as well so his game intelligence I think this season more than ever has has certainly developed. I think there's a few real big reasons around him as well that, that have really helped. Obviously, as Mark said, he uh, went through necessary shoulder surgery, um, which is really important, I think, particularly for someone who uh, has such a game that's built around, I'm going to speak about his super strength of that you know, straight line, direct running. Uh, he's still scoring and having as many chances off of these fast breaks, these counter attacks as ever before. Uh, he's still got Bruno Fernandes playing those sort of three balls. But um, yeah, he's not He's not got the sort of game that you can play at 80% sort of fitness. Um, I thought it was staggering last season across all competitions. He made 18 starts, but finished just three of them. This season, he's made 32 starts and finished 16 games. Um, and only twice uh, in his career at senior level has he ever finished more than 20 games uh, in a full season, um, which was in 2019-20. is one of his best campaigns and 2020-21. So he's really on track to, to play more of a, a critical role. And, and United's shape helps him now as well. They've got a very sort of consistent 43 one under 10 hog, but... It's a shape that's gone under a lot of work. I think from memory, Christian Eriksen started at false nine on the opening day against Brighton um, and is now deeper in sort of a, a pivot role. They've brought in Casemiro, who uh, Ahmed Walid has written about for The Athletic about how good he is in sort of transitions and making those regains. So, you know, he's very much a player who, as a forward, needs sort of the service because, you know, it's all well and good having a really good straight line runner, but if there's no one to make the regains and you can't get those transition moments from deep, you're reliant on your defensive midfielders to sort of do the job there. So I think that's helped him in the consistency of minutes. He's been scoring consistently, but also not just scoring like hat-tricks and then braces all the time. Pretty much, I think the majority of games since the start of the restart from the post-World Cup, he's been scoring at least once a game or, or assisting. And we're now seeing sort of Vukovic-Horst in um, this United attack now playing sort of a, you know more of a number 10 role. At times we've seen Rashford in a number nine sort of position, particularly Barca, I think was a great example um, in, in the knockout game there. And particularly in, in the away game uh, where he did have some of those direct runs and you know, United then got the ability to sort of adapt their shape now to play a bit differently. Luke Shaw's come into sort of left centre back, so he's benefited from a system really moving around him. And I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to Benny McCarthy as well as having coachable impacts on his game. Well, I mean, strip out all of the tactics, everything around it. I just do want to focus on the sheer number of goals 25 goals this season in all competitions, and that's 0.75 goals per 90, um, which is comfortably the highest of his career so far. So it does just show, yes, he's having a good season this season, but you track it back to when he first um, you know, made his, his first appearance for Manchester United. Across all of that time, he is running very, very hot across the whole of his career. So definitely worthy of, uh, of a bonus podcast. I think so. And the, the best part now is how much variety there is um, in terms of his goal scoring. That I think he scored two goals in a week, both headers off crosses against Leeds, which is just a great example mm. of these goals that he hadn't sort of traditionally scored. There was a really good header, uh, a game against West Ham, where, you know, a real sort of striker towards the edge of the box, um, adapting his movement, adapting his runs. And often he benefits because his first sort of run will still be that straight line, that aggressive um, sprint in looking for, you know, that slip through ball or that early cross. But he's now then got the second part of his game where if that one doesn't come, then, okay, I'll reposition, I'll find a blind spot. And um, often he'll stand still in an offside position. Uh, the goal he scored against City, I think, in, in the Manchester derby is a great example where, um, and this, you know, something Lionel Messi got famed for across his career, suddenly you just stand still and let everything else sort of move around you. And of course, if you're offside, the defender's not near you, you, you can't be marked. Um, and then he's showing sort of good dexterity I think and 
th- this makes sense because he's got Benny McCarthy now coaching him, who Ten Hag has openly spoken about as they felt they had enough defenders and midfielders in the coaching staff, which I think just ties nicely to all the managerial stuff we've been speaking about and and people here in the in the pod is that you know having that manager is all well and good and he is of course responsible for the team tactics but on an individual level McCarthy would have come in and given him details on of movement uh, on triggers and it's all these different ingredients that have really come together and I think that's also testament wise that he's scoring in so many different games against different opposition you see his role against uh, when he completely embarrasses Seamus Coleman he gets I mean it's not the assist because it's an own goal by Connor Cody but uh, when he gets those 1v1 dribbles now can sort of go both ways can still explode down the touchline that for me it's a perfect example of developing the weak side shall we say or the non-strengths of a, of a player's game really raising the floor uh, of what Rashford can do and keeping that bar really high in terms of a ceiling of what his super strength is to you know be that great transitional player he still scores those goals we saw it against Liverpool earlier on in the season um, he can still do that and that's that's perfect really and I think that's exciting from an England national team perspective as well well he's often played Mark mentioned that the minutes that he's played off the right side I dare say those will be uh, club minutes but my vision of him playing for England is generally over the last half a decade been brought on as a substitute and generally kind of stuck on maybe on the wing, particularly if and when England have been chasing a game. And we're starting to build a picture of why he is very clearly best played off the left. And I feel like Ten Hag deserves particular credit for empowering him to do so. And something highly notable on this front is the fact that where other managers with Manchester United's squad situation, in particular a lack of a widely agreed upon world-class number nine, where other managers may have gone, well, Marcus can play there. He'll do a job for us there and he'll score us a certain amount of goals and and we trust that his skill set will give us a threat in the number nine role. Ten Hag has looked at it very differently. I would rather have someone else up front who may not be as obviously high quality as Marcus Rashford in order to get the best out of him rather than reverse engineer it the other way around. Completely. Uh, we saw that he's played Anthony Martial uh, up top at times this season, obviously, but before he's had his own injury issues. Um, on the psychological side as well, he's spoken quite openly about having taken rest, um, spending time away from the game. And again, these are things that that isn't something we can ever sort of underrate. Um, and I think that's really interesting where that now comes back into a time where he's playing with a real sort of ruthless streak. Um, he looks so so engaged and is playing so consistently, so regularly, uh, at such a great intensity that um, for someone that burst onto the scene so young um, and did so well from so early on, the bar has been so high for him. And United's issue has been... They've struggled for a goal scorer for a long time now. I don't think they've had a 20-plus goal a season striker since Robin Van Persie. Um, you know, you get Rashford who starts scoring goals as this something between a winger and something between a, a number nine. I think it's better now almost going, no, let's not force this thing. Let's let him do what he's really, really good at. And it's working perfectly. I think it's giving credit to Marcus Rashford, but giving credit to the manager as well. I think that, you know, he's 25 now. I think that he's developed that game intelligence to know that he doesn't necessarily need to be running up and down the the touchline or running all over the pitch but making sure that the touches that he does have are the ones that count and to your point Liam it's that he's becoming far more ruthless with them so again looking at the the numbers that in the Premier League at least he's averaging 37 touches per 90 which is comfortably the the lowest um, since 2017-18 so again it shows that he's not necessarily wanting to to get on the ball at any point but it's that yeah as I said that he's making the most of the touches that he that he has so there's certainly credit for for Marcus Rashford I think there's also uh, credit certainly for Eric Ten Hag as well and I think that the way that 
Manchester United are playing now also helps that they are a little bit more aggressive in those um, those pressing traps and being able to press from the, the front. And their possession one in the attacking third is something I looked at. So 5.3 um, occasions per 90, they're winning the, the ball back in the, the final third, which is uh, comfortably the highest since 2018-19 as well. So it's playing into Rashford's skill set to get the, the ball, win it high and be more clinical and ruthless with those actions as well. So... Of course, as I, as I say, I think there's credit to be given to Marcus Rashford for, for doing so well, overcoming his injury, etc. Mm. But for Eric Ten Hag to put the, the building blocks in place to allow, to your point, Ali, him to thrive in, in his best position and best skill set. And credit to Piers Morgan too, because without him, um, you know, you think about Cristiano Ronaldo and speaking about those, those pressing numbers, um, what Rashford would be like in a front line with Ronaldo compared to in Ronaldo's absence, they can press higher and be more effective. Um I wonder how much that has had an impact. So I, I need to go wash my hands and wash my mouth out, I think. But uh, I think just we've been speaking about this more on sort of the, the broader managerial sense, but all these different pieces of a puzzle that sort of come together and all these different small elements of the game that on their own might not look hugely consequential, but you're looking at sticking five, six, seven big things together. Um, and the impact is so profound, as Mark said, with, with his numbers that, you know, to be at a career best ever from a player who... Off the, off the back of the, the Euros and, you know, he returned to Wembley, I think, for the first time he played at Wembley in the Carabao Cup final and was fantastic. To look that good, that sharp and a player who has dealt with so much off the field is is genuinely one of the best people, it looks like, in terms of, you know, actually striving for making change and, and doing good things and has had a real unfortunate level of criticism and, I think, expectation put onto him, not to mention the sort of abuse he suffered. is a, uh, It's wonderful from a, from a sporting aspect to see him come through and, um, yeah, be, be this good. Here, here, Rashford in full flow is one of the great Premier League sites and we've been blessed to see a lot of it uh, so far this season. I'd like to bring in Kylian Mbappe. That makes it sound like we've got him on the line. <laughs> we, we don't, sadly. But I, I want to ask about his best position, his current position at PSG, where almost conversely to Marcus Rashford, he doesn't always seem happy playing out on the left. And yet some of the best aspects of his game reflect some of the best aspects, I dare say, of Marcus Rashford's game. So um, how do you analyse Mbappe's best position versus where he wants to play versus what gets the best out of him for the team or for him personally, which isn't always the same thing? No, it's it's a good question. I wish I had the numbers to to break it down in the same way that I did with Marcus Rashford on the left and in the middle on the right. Um, I don't have that. I, I think he's also complained about being centre forward as well because he doesn't quite necessarily have the the same space. So I think he is one to complain a little bit sometimes, and he's he's got um, the right to do so, I suppose, because he's such a talented uh, football player. But yeah, his numbers are, are frightening, as you say. He's become the the all time uh, PSG goal scorer, and he's twenty four years old. Like that's that context is is remarkable. Liam, do you think he's better off the left, a la Rashford? I don't think he's someone that, as we're seeing more now with Rashford, needs to be confined to necessarily like a certain space. I think he's better in certain moments when, again, likewise, he can hit teams um, when they're disorganised, when he can ex- expose defenders one versus one. Um, I think he is maybe a bit behind Rashford in not being as versatile but I don't think he's needed to be I think PSG tend to score so many goals and dominate so many games uh, I think he maybe struggles often with 
having two similar players in Neymar and Messi that both like to be players that receive defeat. They've tried different tactical things for the season. Um, PSG, but they've played sort of a, a three box three a lot of times where they're you know really reliant on on Mbappe. I, I watched them earlier on this month against Rennes, um, and they were really bad at trying to really pick lock and organise defence. Um, mm. And I think it's a real fascinating comparison to when he plays for France and he plays off Olivier Giroud. Um, who, of course, has gone to, on to be the France all-time top goal scorer now um, on the men's side, sorry, because he's got someone in Mbappe who's so different to him. They're so complimentary that you've got someone that will run off. And I don't think they actually often tend to combine with goals and assists for each other, um, but they're making space. They've got you know a player that can play directly um, into Mbappe. Mbappe likes to roll inside a lot. And then you've got Teo Hernandez often pushing on on the overlap. So I think France are a lot more balanced to really get the best out of his strengths. And of course, four years ago or five years ago now at the World Cup, he, uh, he played off the right. He was on the right-hand side and has slowly sort of moved across the left. And now... I guess he can be more of a number 10 for France. For both club and country, he is able to, at least defensively, not have to do an awful lot without the ball. Um, I'm surprised because he's so quick. You think he'd really suit a high press where he can really harass defenders, get those regains close to goal, more chances to score goals and more chances against you know a disorganised defence, not 10 outfield players uh, between you and sort of the um, the goal. So that part surprises me. Um, I wonder if he'll look at a career move with, with PSG currently. On the note of his defensive contribution, I did a piece recently um, looking at how to to stop Mbappe and I discovered that he didn't make a single tackle in the Champions League group stage for PSG. Um, and I, there was very few people who were also alongside him, but it shows his inclination to press from the front. I think it's the, the point that you're making, Liam. And I watched the, the PSG Bayern game this week and... It, there was, a, there was an occasion where he had that about five yards to make up. And as you say, he's got the energy, he's got the pace to be able to do it. And he just seemed not interested at all and thinking, well, when I get on the ball, that's when I'll come alive. And, you know, Sadio Mane from a left-sided attacker is probably on that pitch at the same time. is probably a really good example of someone on multiple occasions where you think he's got no right to really make a tackle from there, but he's made something happen. A, a goal against Chelsea comes to mind where a goal out of nothing came about simply because of his hard work rate, not just or not necessarily because of his attacking skill set. And Mbappe does have that because he's so incredible. You just think it's it's very, very minor details of someone who is so incredibly talented. But if he added that to his game as well, could that, I don't know, would, would something else suffer as a consequence? No. I don't know. I think Russia is a good example of how you can add it in without it sort of suffering and you make it a whole attack more versatile. Um, speaking about how obviously he's played as a nine off the left, um, they've played a bit more directly with, with Vercors at times. And I, I don't think you always see that. And maybe I think maybe Mbappe's game suffers because of how PSG dominate. There's often a similar pattern to their games. Maybe against some of the bigger sides, it's different where uh, they want more of the ball opposition teams and they can sort of be more transitional. But it, it was the same in the World Cup in terms of defensive numbers. I think it was at some point in the knockout stages, I think Opta tweeted that Per 90 minutes, he'd had the lowest number of defensive actions of like any forward with an mm. X number of minutes played. Um, and I, I just think it's a real waste, a real waste of talent to constantly just have someone who the variety he's adding to his game, as, as Mark really nicely broke down, is is the sort of disguise he puts on finishes where he'll be sort of 1v1 against the defender um, and sort of fakes that far post one and can drill it in um, the near post. And his ball striking, as we saw quite clearly in the World Cup final, is up there with, with the very best in the world. Um, and I think it's scary to think how good he could be if you could coach him or even put him in situations where he's doing a bit more uh, varied movement, a bit more varied things um, and really sort of damage teams in a, in a different way. On the note of him maybe moving on uh, in the future, if he was to maybe go to Real Madrid, which is the team that looks most likely to move to, I think his strength is from the left-hand side. 
but you're not going to move Vinicius Junior. So I don't know if you if you played him as a centre forward as as Benzema's heir. I don't think he's the type of player profile to do that. But then put him on the left, you got Vinicius Junior. So a bit of a tricky one for the future. Yeah, that is to me the most interesting thing to think about right now when it comes to Mbappe and his tactical future, where he will end up, be it staying at PSG forever as sporting director slash star player or uh, moving on elsewhere and working out the sorts of players that a future destination would have in order to, to get the best out of him or maybe not to do so. I think it's really interesting. So thank you guys for your insight on that front. Um, get excited, guys, because the episode going out on the feed tomorrow, uh, the State of Football Management Part 2, it's one of my favourite ever episodes. The insight of Michael, Liam and Mark has been absolutely incredible uh, during this series over the last two weeks. So please do clear the diary, clear the schedule. Make sure you've got an hour or so tomorrow to listen to the second episode of the week on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. And thank you for listening. The Athletic.